the person who gets the most done has the least excuses. Welcome to the Millionaire Woman Show, where we'll be discussing leadership, business, human potential, inspiring you to live rich from the inside out. Unlock your creativity, stretch out of your comfort zone, break through your barriers, take inspired action, and achieve epic results. Now here's your host, three-time best-selling author, speaker, and certified executive coach, Deborah Kozowski. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Millionaire Woman Show, where I bring you guests from around the world to inspire, motivate you, and educate you into taking inspired action. And today, I am very excited to bring to you Lisa Marie Platsky, who was introduced to me by Allison Donahue through uh, Domino Thinking. She just said, you know, you guys have a synergy. I just feel it. You'll connect. And she is completely right. It took us an hour before the interview just to chat up and we could have talked all day. So I am excited to share her with you um, without further ado. She left her life as a federal law enforcement officer after 9-11, became CEO of an international leadership development company, Upside Thinking Inc., an award-winning leadership human behavior expert recognized by the White House Small Business Administration, Lisa Marie has coached or trained 100,000 leaders on topics of transparency and leadership, executive presence, team management, and since opening Upside Thinking in 2005. With a Bachelor of Science in Criminal Justice and a Master's Degree in Human Resource Training and Development, coupled with certifications in leadership and a thesis in formal and informal mentoring, she is an international best-selling author in five countries having written or co-authored seven books and is a regular contributor to Forbes.com. As a certified master coach, Lisa Marie works with business leaders around the globe and is a member of the Forbes Coaches Council. Past clients include leaders within the Department of Homeland Security, Honeywell, the National Association of Realtors, AFLAC, Federal Regulatory Commission, State Farm Insurance, Pacific Gas and Electric, and Perry Ellis International, to name a few. She serves on the board of Project Forgive and the Evolutionary Business Council, the Executive Advisory Council for the Leadership California, and in 2015 was recognized by the International Alliance of Women as one of the top 100 women making a difference in this world. Lisa Marie lives in Alexandria, Virginia with her husband, Jim, and their pet, Fox. Please welcome to the show, Lisa Marie Platsky. Thank you. Thank you so much, Deb. It's always humbling to hear your bio read. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's pretty amazing because even, you know, we were talking and I'm like, okay, I know Sean DePerrin, I know Teresa DeGrobra, I know so many people and finally our paths have collided to connect and what a joy it has been to just spend some time with you getting to know each other. And I'm so honored to be able to, you know, share you with the audience here on the Millionaire Woman Show for anybody who is, you know, watching us on video or listening to us, you know, whether you're at the gym driving or, you know, sitting in your office or have those AirPods in and you're cleaning your house, whatever it might be, we're grateful that you are here. And uh, it's going to be a juicy conversation because, You know, Lisa Marie really focuses on designing your destiny, turning those possibilities into reality. 
And one of the conversations, part of the conversation we were having is about following your true calling, knowing that there's this burning desire within and trusting, being able to fully trust that what has come to you shall unfold, you know, without needing to know the how. So first of all, before we jump into that, I, I jumped the gun a little bit, but I, I was reading on your website about hair and nails, Lisa Marie. So I, I would love for you to share that with our audience and I'll jump back to that question again. Sure. Sure, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to share. You know, my background is in federal law enforcement, a little bit untraditional for me to, to be doing the work that I do. And I, I never thought I'd leave law enforcement. I loved it. I really loved the badge, the uniform. I loved the, the idea of what law enforcement is all about, what it stands for in its most purest sense. And uh, the guys didn't always see me because I had these long red, white, and blue fingernails and I had hair that now my hair has grown out. So this is unusual <laughs> this past year, I've decided to grow it a little bit longer. It was longer than this. And so, you know, you, I've got had this long blonde hair and I had preferred the, the cute high top black guest sneakers over the uniform issued black boots they gave you. So it was a little bit, you know, different that, that the guys didn't necessarily take me seriously. And it was hard. It was very hard because I was rewarded for being smart when I was in school. And there were things that I did that I excelled at. And when you step into something after excelling in things and then not having people see you when you're standing there or creating a label around what you can do, there's something that's, it's painful. It's, it's very disheartening and it's, and it's painful. And so I was out to, you know, prove that they were going to see me. And, and uh, in that, it took me to a leadership course and at the leadership course, Deb, I thought, you know, you know, this is my chance, you know, to I'll figure out what the magic formula is to, to be seen. And when I took a series of leadership assessments and the instructor shared with the class that, um, that I was a zero and um, that I had scored a zero. And I have to say every time I hear, I tell the story, I can go back to that moment. Nobody talked to me. The instructor didn't stop there. She went on and said, so if Lisa invites you to do something and you show up, she doesn't really want you to be there. And if you invite her to do something and she shows up, she's secretly wishing she was someplace else. And it was a big ouch moment because it wasn't a safe space to receive this feedback. Mm. And it was almost more proof that how the guys saw me really was who I was. And it took me a few weeks to really have a conversation with myself that went something like this. Lisa, if you don't change, if you don't learn how to connect, you don't figure out how to position yourself you could be smart and right. You could be strong and tough. And you, my dear, could be alone and dead. 
And in my field, that was very, very true. And yet there was this part of me that I say, even when I connect with that emotion, that's still very alive and very much in me, that what it feels like when you're not seen is really painful. And so I worked hard on bringing things, letting the guys see parts of me that I had kept hidden. I worked really hard to not focus on getting it right. I, I, I learned new vocabulary words, you know, <laughs> you know, I, I don't have that answer. <laughs> you know, that's, that was my, took a lot of energy and effort as somebody who liked to be rewarded as getting the A's. And so, you know, it was a, a journey to move from hail and hair and nails and be seen for just what it looked like on the outside to actually being recognized for what it is that was possible. And I ended up leaving the agency as, as somebody who, who was well rewarded and learned, uh, built relationships that I even had a conversation uh, just two weeks ago with a, a former colleague of mine. And yesterday I had lunch with somebody that I worked with. So, uh, you know, 20 years ago. And so it, it's, it's, taken me a long, a lifetime, you know, a long time to, to, to stand in that place and to really, um, those lessons have helped me in my business with clients. They've helped me with positioning. They've helped me with building Design Your Destiny Live, my, my annual conference. They've transformed me into somebody that really can see once I was willing to look at it from a place of vulnerability, can see that uh, um, even the things that are the hardest can turn out to be the most transformational, the, the best experiences, which is exactly what happened with that. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I just thinking as you share that those moments of vulnerability, like recently I uh, was released a blue talk that I did and it starts off with a story that it took me over 20, 25 years to share of the pain and the vulnerability that was behind that feeling that you're responsible for something that you actually had no control over. And if it was part of someone's destiny, you just happened to be part of the story. Um, but those moments of vulnerability, they really shift who we are. And, you know, to realize that we're not defined by one event but it's how the meaning we put to that event on how we showed up. And I love how you, you know, you really learned to find your voice and it was about not being right, but it was about being in relationship. What is one of the key things that you shifted in yourself to be able to be seen, to be heard, to be someone who was a valuable to the team? Cause you, you left with, having really transformed who you are, but the connection that you were able to make with people in that 10 years plus that you were part of, you know, enforcement that I read on your website is transformational. Yeah, I, I, and I love you saying that the, the being right versus being in relationship, you know, choosing to be kind over choosing to be right is something that's been very important to me, just it, it, it definingly important. The, when you ask about what is it that, that I had to shift, 
it's interesting how you phrased it because the shift was an internal shift. It wasn't an external something that I did. And sometimes in looking for, you know, what's the tool or what's that thing that I can buy or use or do. And so often it's the internal and how I viewed failure and how I viewed myself and my own value and worth are really what made the biggest difference to be seen and to be heard. And the actual act of positioning was, was, was a big part of that and connection. The piece about making friends with failure is that I placed so much emphasis and so much value on the accomplishments that I had, mm -hmm. getting it right, getting the A, uh, making it look so good that there was nothing that I was doing that wasn't just perfect. And that's a lot of energy. Like that takes a lot of work to be in that place. And so when I did that and went, I can be valuable just because of who I am and just because of the fact that I'm alive and I have a mission, that was huge for me. And it allowed me to then connect with others and position myself, not from a place of lack, but rather from a place of, and rather from a place of true abundance and joy and gratitude for who I am, even in the messy times when I get it wrong, even when I don't have the right thing that comes out of my mouth or, you know, I say this thing that I go, oh, I'm so sorry. And how many times I have to ask for, or I have to choose to ask for forgiveness. And that would be something that years ago would be more about how can we hide it and make it look pretty? How can we put a little bow on it so that nobody sees that? It wasn't about that transparency to go, this is what it, this is what it is. This is what just happened. This is just went, what went down. And what's interesting about the positioning is I used to believe before I started to get into the research of positioning, I always thought that positioning was tell people all the good stuff about yourself, tell them about all your degrees and all your accolades and all the stuff that you got right. Yeah. And what I learned in the, the book that was actually written by, by Al Reese and the definition of it is opening this window to the mind. And in doing so, there's an element of that where I'm not hiding my humanity. My vulnerability is simply part of it. And when, when I got that, that I can both be have, having coached and trained over 100,000 leaders and at the same time got it really wrong on Tuesday and am willing to call up my client and say, hey, here's what went down and here's how that really should have sounded. Mm -hmm. That is, is not, doesn't take away the excellence that has been delivered, nor does it mean that I have to put that unreasonable expectation on myself to get it right all the time. So I love that being right and in relationship because that's that's the that's the piece. It's choosing to that, that people are important. And it and makes you relatable because I'm sure the person receiving you saying, you know, I really wanted it to land this way and this is not how it came out as I reflect on it, makes them think, whew. <laughs> I don't have to be like that either, right? You allow people to be who they are as you, you know, show up as yourself fully and not having to have everything just perfect. 
Yes. And I've had clients say to me, gosh, I didn't even notice that. Or gosh, I didn't, I didn't right. take it that way. Or, oh, that wasn't, uh, you know, that wasn't. And then I've done it publicly, you know, where I will then send a message out to my entire community and say, you know, here's what, here's what it is that, and here's why I'm bringing this out. And it's not about me going, oh, let me share all the things. Let me, you know, oh, let me tell you. And because I want to, um, feign humility. It's really because it's, it's learning. And that's that internal work that you and I have spoken about, which is, yeah. it's not the, it, yes, part of it is external. And there's also this component of where, how do you walk into even this time of, of when, when you're looking at a, a new year or, or, or changing something at a, at a time, a new, a new time, if I, if I put some new material in old wineskins and old me, how, how is the new, how does the new happen? It doesn't because it gets spoiled. So the responsibility that I have is to continue to um, change me. And I didn't get that years ago. I thought that it was all about me getting better at the accomplishments, at the things I did, more books, more, more things to, 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 to do. And, and now I, I spend so much of my year in who am I being? Yeah. And, and I think it's interesting because I know that's the first place that people go to, myself included, you know, to say, this is, you know, this is some of the things that I've accomplished. But then when you listen to some of my talks, you'll, you'll see how I've fallen down, you know, many times and got myself up. But I think that there, there is that balance of vulnerability in sharing who you are. And when it's, you know, I love how Sean DuPerrin talks about, you know, you're not going to want to throw up on somebody or <laughs> you think you're going to go to bed on the first time you meet somebody, you know, that networking component that you're just sharing too much, right? So it's, um, I think it's good to share both sides of when yeah. you've, and I love how you say making friends with failure, because we want to have this bright shining star and let everybody know how great we are. You know, that's part of the marking. Why would I want to work with them? But they also need to know <laughs> that we're relatable and, you know, things aren't perfect, but this is how we learn. I still remember when I did my first recording ever, when I got on this journey and I was interviewing Patricia Fripp. And, you know, world renowned speaker, and I realized I didn't hit record. And to tell her that I didn't hit record and can we start again was so hard for me to ask her. And she was so genuine, you know, we still had limited amount of time, but she, she was so grace gracious in allowing me to do that that I was, I was just like, I look back and I, I was so horrified. I'm like, how could you not hit record? Like, come on, <laughs> you know? And, um, but it was one of, a, you know, another learning lesson of falling down and, you know, owning those mistakes and knowing that you learn from them and it's okay. Yeah. And it's yeah. the humanity. That's what you're speaking about is the humanity. You know, I, I don't, I don't, decide, okay, I'm going to share something vulnerable here. And I'm going to share something vulnerable here. It's the permission to be fully and authentically who you are. And when you're not, 
there's this invisible barrier between you and another human being, and they may not be able to see it or figure it out. So, you know, you could have done a great dance and been like, oh, well, you know, something happened and you could have just not even shared anything with her and gone, you know, and then gone on and just made the second interview the first. And, you yeah. know, and, you know, there's a lot of things that, that could have played out. And yet the beauty is that when we get to do that, it's like, oh yeah. And then we allow others to get to be their best selves, to be the gracious one. When there are other times in our life, when we may be the receiver, we might be the giver. It's, it's just, that's part of it. And I, I didn't get that years ago. I really tried so hard to make it um, fit really neatly and tied with a bow. And, and, and that's one of the things I got from that zero on that, on that uh, assessment. And now I get to work with clients and do assessments with them and allow them to see what the perceptions are and how that can get in the way mm -hmm. of, of them truly shining as brightly as they can. And um, because of my own experience, I can do it in a way that's deeply compassionate. Yeah. <laughs> It was definitely hard to hear that, you know, you're like yeah. zero, who gets zero, right? Right, exactly. But there's nowhere else to go <laughs> other right. than to improve, right? So at the same time, it was like, okay, this is where you're at. You have a measuring point and now you can, you know, strive for something different. Yes. And I can tell clients that they probably aren't going to be a zero, that they'll probably be less. <laughs> True enough. <laughs> so I, I was on your website and you were talking about, you know, how people are asking you what's your theme word. And I know that's something that has come up in conversation for me as well about what's that theme word when you're moving into the new year of choosing what is going to be your focus for the next year. It's not something easy considering, you know, we're still in the midst of a pandemic, um, still in the midst of some disruption in the world, yet at the same time you know, growing businesses, people are still shopping, people are still doing things, we're living our lives. And every day still wanting to show up as our best selves. So when you think about your theme, what is it that you, what helps you choose that theme for yourself? Well, the, the part for me and that I had written about is that I don't really choose my word. I allow the year to choose the word for me. And part of that is part of my no plan plan in the sense that there are things that are mine to do. And then there are, there are things in life that are just that it's just my responsibility to listen to, to listen with all of me. And when I listen, it, it comes to me. And so the past year, the the word that was chosen or given to me was empathy and it won't necessarily happen where the word will come to me on january 1st or at a certain it just simply reveals itself in the perfect timing and i'm i'm listening i'm listening to what what that is and the empathy one has been it's been a challenging one for me. It really has the, the ability to, um, 
I'm direct. So I'm a very direct person and it, it served me very well in law enforcement. And if we look at assessments for me, there's only about 9% of the population that has a similar personality directness. And when you're, when you're like that, there can be perceptions. And that's what I learned in my assessments early on in law enforcement is that you know, the perception is then that you don't care like, and you're supposed to be compassionate and because you're a woman. And so like, what happened? And so, and so this, this energetic to go, I'm very you know, passionate about whatever it is that I believe in and how that comes across. To be empathetic means that you're taking into consideration somebody else's feelings and sometimes before your own. And so despite my great passion for something and how I feel to really be in the honoring of. And so I can see that that will continue and then another word will show up. And so I'm swimming and dancing in this empathy and really am fascinated because it has brought up situations where it's like if you ask for help me with patience, you get more opportunities to be patient. Like you don't magically become patient, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. And so it's sort of like that. Like I've had more situations come up where there's been this need for deep, deep, deep empathy for other people who are hurting, whether they're clients or family members or friends. And so it's, it's brought up elements in myself that and a strength and a resolve I didn't realize I had. And a lot of it, honestly, is me relying on the Holy Spirit and me recognizing that I don't have all the tools to go where it is that I need to go. And so I really have to ask for divine guidance and ask for um, some intervention. So do you recognize that word or the experiences that you're having at the end of the year, or do you start noticing them as they happen? I start noticing them as they happen. I go, oh, this is a theme. I, I see what's happening. This is part of my transformation for this year. And so there was um, uh, my word, the other uh, big year prior that had come up for me was the word resting. Like I realized that I had, I had this sort of claiming masculine energy and I had this surrender feminine energy. And there was this deep pendulum. There was this like, okay, you know, like when you're in the claiming, going after what I wanted. And then there was this, oh, I just have to like rest and just wait for whatever to happen. And I went, oh, no, no, no. What's happening for me is there's this center point, which is the resting piece. And when I rest in whatever's mine, then the how I do stuff doesn't matter. And I'm like, oh, okay, I got it. Like when I'm in that place. And so that came to me because there were multiple situations. And this was not last year. I think it was like the year before. It's, that was my word that had shown up was resting, but it wasn't resting like go to sleep. It was resting in divine. And some people might use the word trusting, but for me, it was a resting in whatever it is that's mine like it already is and so stop claiming and surrendering and like it's this is just too much of a, a bouncing back and forth and this year I really notice it and so it might you know it might it might notice it in January or February or March it just will sort of show up where there'll be this theme of events that happen and I go why is this going and I oh all right I get it um this is my new evolution fabulous and so I don't place a lot of energy in 
what's my word going to be? Because for me, that comes from a cerebral place. It comes from a thinking place. And one of the other parts is that in the psychosomatic work I do, I try to have it be where it comes from a feeling place. Mm. And as someone in law enforcement who shut off feelings for a very long time, because they didn't seem valuable to feel something and not like feel it from a heart face because I'm not a kumbaya girl. I am very left brain, but to feel it viscerally so that my body is this divining rod go, go this way, go this way. If we want to be a force for good on the planet, this is the thing to do. So it's, it's a real clarifier for me. And when that theme shows up, it's going, girl, you are got something that needs to change. And this is gonna, this ain't gonna be pretty. So like empathy, it's resting. Those weren't like pretty words. Like they didn't come up and I'd go, oh yeah, there's gonna be more joy and more happiness abounds. It was a challenging, it was a, it's a sandpaper. It's a, you know, let's put the sand in so how we have the oyster. Like we're gonna do what it, it, it takes. And so um, I really, I, I don't always embrace the word. Sometimes I, I go, gosh, darn it. Like, I don't want you. And, you know, I'm, you know, I'm kicking and screaming. Like, it's not like a, yeah, my word showed up. <laughs> so. Well, it makes, it makes me think about when I was a new manager long ago that, you know, I finished a performance conversation and my boss looked at me and she said, Deb, I think your goal for this year should really be about people management. And not sooner than inking it for the three following days, I had the most difficult conversations with people. <laughs> and I was like, I looked at her and I said, never, ever again, will I take your suggestion on my goals with laughter, of course. Right. Um, they were difficult, but some of my greatest learning. And um yeah, I, I just couldn't believe how quickly those lessons came from the moment of inking it on paper. So I'm very careful about what I ink on paper when it comes <laughs> to goals. And, uh, and, you know, those conversations still come up. And, you know, I ask myself, so what is the lesson I'm supposed to learn? And there's so many different lessons come up because some of them are, remember, you're not responsible for other people's feelings. They, it's their journey. They need to feel what they need to feel. You can't come and rescue it, making it less than. Um, you stated the facts and you demonstrate compassion. And I think that's, again, like you said, having that empathy, but being able to deliver the message in such a way that you still acknowledge the humanity part. Yes. yes. Right. Yeah, and that's, and that's the tricky part is like, how do you make yourself right? The other person, right. And the situation, right. All simultaneously. And that's a high level leadership skill. And without empathy, that's really difficult to do because to make someone else right and yourself right. And the situation means that even if you can't see like one iota, 1% of what it is they're saying makes sense, you've got to make them right. Yeah. And that is, is, has been the, the element for me with empathy in the journey is it really doesn't matter if, if I have as much passion as I have about something, if I've cut someone else's legs off. Yeah. figuratively it really doesn't matter like what if, if my if my vision 
is to be a, a force for good on the planet and to make the world better. How does that do that? Even if I was right, even if my, even if what it is that I'm saying has the most validity, that's the part that empathy has been the great teacher. And I love you saying that, you know, when you ink it and you write it down, it's like, oh yeah, sure, you know, I'll, I'll work on this. And what I find fascinating about when you come to ends of years, beginnings of years, or even it could be a quarter, or it could be, you know, times when someone is in, in choosing a new path to say, I want this, whether it be more money or more opportunity or more of something that would be the, the this is the great value to be a better speaker, whatever. The question is not like, how am I going to do that? It's who do I need to be in order for that to happen? And who do I need to be oftentimes means ripping stuff out, <laughs> you know, that and not taking it with you. And I don't, I don't know that I got that, you know, if you were to, you know, to have asked me this question or you and I were to, to be in the time capsule and, and you would have asked me this 15 years ago, 16 years ago, when I started my business, I was so naive because I thought, oh yeah, you know, get clients and you go and you, you know, you do some work and you know, this is, I'm my own boss and yay for me. And, and, and now it's like, this is like the greatest personal development tool oh, created. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the stories we could tell. Absolutely. Yes. And I love how you say, you know, it's about writing. It's really basically about writing the situation. You know, there doesn't have to be your at fault and this blame here and fault there. It's really about what's right for all of us. And I, I really value how you approach that. Thank you. I just, I think that that's the, that's the piece for me where I have friends that have very different opinions than I do on many things. Yeah. And we can get together and have conversations that are meaningful, deep, and not have one person leave feeling harmed for the conversation. In the United States, we had a very tumultuous election. And on two nights after the election, a friend of mine who voted for a different candidate than myself, we got together for dinner. And we spent three and a half hours and she shared reasons why she believed in what she believed. I shared reasons why I believe what I believe. And in the end, we hugged each other and loved each other and it was beautiful. And I got a glimpse of what was really important to her and how she saw the world and she got it from me. And we both left with a bit more understanding. And to be in that place, means you've got to open yourself up. You, you hear differently, you, you see differently, you feel differently. And the goal is that the situation is right. I used to say to my employees, my goal in you coming to work, this is when I was in law enforcement, yeah. is that you come into the office and you will always leave better or the same. You will never leave worse. There will never be anything that anybody says or does that creates harm. And that's, 
what a, what a world if everybody were to do that, that the situation can be right, even if we don't agree on how to get there or even this, even have believe in something so different. Yeah. And it's being possible. able to hold the space and accept them for who they are. But what I love is that you were able to have this conversation to opposite and polar viewpoints, yeah. but also being able to look at the person. It wasn't about the issue. It, it was about being able to see the world in the other person's eyes and understand where they were coming from that empathy piece again. Yeah. Yeah. For that moment in time to go, okay, let me just everything, every filters, no, nothing for me to say, nothing for me to respond to, nothing for me to defend and I got to tell you, that takes courage and it also, it takes empathy and it also takes a lot of restraint, like personal restraint to, to just listen to someone. And it's so fascinating because with social media, I see people spout stuff off and then I end up with like 27 comments that someone makes on something that was probably seemingly innocent, maybe, maybe, you know, unaware unconscious or, you know, unawake, however, seemingly in, innocent. And yet, you know, we've now put them, strung them up and getting, are getting ready to hang them. And I just go, wow, like, what can I do to be, to be, to shine light? What, what's my responsibility to shine light? And so on social media, unless it's something that's not shining, that's not sharing love and kindness, I'm not going to do it. Even though I have really strong opinions and I'm very passionate because it's not, it's just not the place for it. For me, you know, I'm not, no judgment with anyone else, just not for me, because my goal is to ensure being a force for good. Yeah. And you talk about lesson 28 in the course of miracles, <laughs> above all else, I want to see things differently. Mm -hmm. And Basically, when I think of that, I think of see it without judgment, like you said, without filter. And I would love for you to tell us a little bit more how this came up for you. Well, oh, wow. Uh, there's so much, there's so much that I could say on that, Deb. I recognized within me many, many years ago, I can't even tell you like the, I can't even say that it, there was certainly a pivotal moment. I just recognized that, wow, I really don't see my opinions as opinions. I see my opinions as truth. And what really is truth? And so Martin Luther King is, uh, is somebody that has I've admired for, for my, my whole life. And I went, what, in looking at his work and I began to look at what really is truth? Like what is truth with a capital T? What, what is that? And not my opinion, not my ultimate judgment, because people judge us all the time. I'm getting judged, you're getting judged. You know, you go into the 
to, to a clothing store and you make judgments about how something looks on the rack and how it will look on you. Like judgments are just part of how, how you, how many people process. Like that's, that's just part of the, the brain mechanism and, and for processing. And what I, what I, I never thought that that was, cancel clear, not never. At that time, I did not believe that that was something that had a negative impact or a negative consequence. It's just the way that brains work. And so we make judgments and we make, we create our own opinions. And some people see those opinions as truth and okay. And then I started to look at, well, if I believe this, what's the consequence of this belief? And what's the consequence of this action? What's the consequence of this judgment? And so even something like going to the grocery store and somebody cuts in front of me, am I justified to say something? Maybe. How I say it, does it matter? Will it actually do anything? Does it matter in the long run? And what's my responsibility? And I started to ask more and more questions. And much like in coaching, the questions that you ask matter to, to create the solution that you want. And what I realized was that this judgment was actually not allowing me to live out my impossible promise to create a world where everybody wins. It wasn't allowing me to really be a force for good. But these judgments, while they may be rooted in what my own beliefs or even higher truths that I thought, they were actually creating barriers in various or, or dams in, in allowing true love to flow between myself and other people everywhere I went. And I went, wow, so what's the greater good then? And so this has allowed me to, to start taking those walls down and to really look at judgment as in through the lens of mercy. You know, that's one of my heart virtues. Uh, it's mercy, it's justice and protection. And when I lead with mercy, it doesn't mean that justice doesn't have a place. It does. It's simply that I get a different outcome in, a, in something that I may judge. So I'm still making those decisions about whether or not a certain blouse looks good on me or on someone else. It's yeah. just that the lens from which that comes out, leading with the mercy and the empathy and the compassion has the how it comes out verbally or energetically to be very different so i don't think that there's a way that we can get rid of judgment i just believe that my journey in understanding what judgment is and all of the questions around it allow me to now show up differently as i am in in a judgment about something i it's the best way that I can that I can explain it. And I guess the a more practical piece is my husband, we were driving behind somebody, and this is like how I would see it in action, is we were driving behind somebody and the person was all over the place. They were just all over the place, right? And so it's like, you know, are they texting? Are they drinking? You know, what, what all were they? And my husband and I are in this conversation. And for safety reasons, my husband goes to pass the vehicle and it's almost dangerous to pass the vehicle because the vehicle is kind of just all over the place. Mm -hmm. And as we're passing the vehicle, before my husband looks at the other vehicle or anything like that, my husband says, 
I wonder if the person's lost. I wonder if the person's having, like he starts going into this thing that we do, which is how do you stay out of the negative impact, putting something negative into the world and also getting your own emotions elevated. And he starts saying these things. And as we pass the person, we both look over and the guy is like in his nineties. And my husband says, oh, isn't that hard to give up your license when perhaps you should? And we start going into this, this litany of sending love, whereas if it were 15 years ago, it would have been the thing that could have ruined my day. Yeah. And we really have a choice of what, what we're going to choose. So I love how you, you said that, and you know, my brother recently um, had someone swerving, like you said, and when they came to a red light, he actually positioned his car. So that person couldn't drive and he was well over the legal limit of alcohol. And all he could think of was safety. And he goes, you know, I, I took a chance of pulling my car the way I did, but I couldn't have this person continue. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. but again, he, he and like you, comes from a different place of safety, mercy, you know, all these different things of what we could tell ourselves versus the road rage that leads people to do things that they would later regret and wouldn't normally do, right. you know, they shouldn't have been drinking. They shouldn't have, it's wrong. You know, it's all, all these, and, and while those might be true, okay. Whether, yeah. whether true it does not negate the fact that this is something where you've got to make a decision and um and that decision being you know what what what's mine to do not wait for someone else to do and and my husband and I you know we we said our prayers and we you know we really like I can envision you know just angels just coming around the car and in the case of your brother he chose to be that angel that was there and moved me to tears that place, the questions are different. The, the, the what you are looking for, for a solution, mm -hmm. isn't from a place of blame. Yeah. It's from a place of love. Yeah. And I think that's what shifts you from, you know, making friends with failure, like you said, I think this is the theme that's coming up in our interview today as well, is, you know, that there can be things that are going off track, but it's not about the finger pointing, it's about writing the situation as to how we want it to end up. Yes. And, um, which is funny, because I'm going to go back to the beginning question that I, I asked you, and we went off on this beautiful journey together. But designing that destiny, turning those possibilities into reality and really tapping into that true calling. And I, and I, what I hear from you, Lisa Marie, is that being peace. How do you want to show up? Whether we're writing a situation, but when you have this burning desire within you and you have no idea, like I can honestly say, and, you know, we were talking earlier, I said, you have this without a doubt attitude that this is something you need to do and you can't explain to people really why, but it's a knowing um, in the fact that not, no, I'm going to shift that, cancel that because I learned something from you earlier. It will be a strong conviction 
that this is a purpose. So, you know, how do you really help people tap into that being of designing their destiny? I, I love how intuitive and at the same time gifted that you are in the, in, in listening, because it's not a word that I use much. And it's a word I use all the time with clients. And that is that there is the doingness of leadership and there's the beingness of leadership. And there are many people who do leadership well, and there are very, very few people who enter into the beingness of leadership with mastery. And so all of the conversation of what we're speaking about is the who you're being as a leader. And that really is an intentional journey of designing your destiny. I believe every person has a mission, a calling, a something that's theirs to do. And if everyone on the planet actually listened to that voice and did it, the world would be very different. The world would not, it would not be in the shape that it is. That means that whatever it is that you've got, like your, you know, your blueprint, your design, it means that that solves a problem for someone. And if you're not doing it, it means people are hurting because it can't come from someone else. It can only come from your story, your experiences, your gifts, your abilities, your talents. That's how this whole designing your destiny got started for me because I had this career in law enforcement. When I was in law enforcement, the guys used to say all the time, why are you here? You should be doing something else. And I'm thinking, why is she doing something else? I like what I'm doing here. You don't belong here. And they would say this. And I mean, they would say this like almost when I first took the job. And what I realized is that my greater vision or my impossible promise, you know, that's not something that, or my, my, my mission in, in being, creating, a, making the world a better place. That started in law enforcement. That was birthed in me wanting to get into law enforcement, to make the world better, to be a force for good on the planet. It's just that they saw something else for me to do that was, that was different and that was bigger. And when they would have conversations with me, they always said, you know, you'll someday be running the agency. And it was, it was really amazing how the guys went from seeing me as hair and nails to truly seeing me and, and all that I could possibly do. And when I look at my business and I look at the, the work of designing your destiny, I was not going to leave the government. It was actually when I got married that I left the government and I realized that I'd have a competing career with my husband and the hours and just it would be more challenging. And I made a decision and a leap of faith. But truly, I jumped without a net. I didn't know anybody in business. I didn't know a soul who owned a business, who had done anything in business. I didn't take a business course. I took criminal justice. And yet here I was. And this whole idea of designing your destiny is believing that inside we each have that blueprint. And if we don't do it, we, the world misses out. And that's the part for me that when you look at the beingness, I tried really hard early in my business to get it right in the sense of doingness. What are the things to do what are the videos to put out, the, the books to write, the things to do? And what I learned on the journey is that you can do all those things and 
still not be incredibly masterful, a courageous leader, the kind of leader that others want to follow. And that only can be unlocked by who it is that you're being. About five years into my business, I hired someone who's a marketing director and she said to me, you need to write more about yourself. You need to be more vulnerable. And I was like, that's nonsense. What are you talking about? I'm not sharing about law enforcement. I'm not sharing about my life. And I wrote all these really good technical articles about leadership. Yeah. And she was like, nobody gets you and it's, it's flat. And I was like, well, look, I'm not going to be one of those like, you know, mushy tell all life stories. And this isn't like a series of Merv Griffin or Oprah. We're not, we're not doing that here. And, and, uh, and she said, I'm just telling you that people can't connect with you, that you give really great information, but they don't relate to you. And just what you shared earlier, Deb, about why vulnerability is not, it's not a marketing tool for me. Even my saying in my business, the world needs you and your business, my mantra, the world needs you and your brilliance. That is, comes from a place of you've got something special. But the one thing I want to say about the beingness of leadership is that most people create the plan, do the things, come around the circle. And then what they do is they do a shortcut in the middle because the deep dive down into the beingness of leadership means looking at all your stuff and all that you're doing that doesn't work. And I have made a lot of money in business. I have made tons of money in business, um, tens and tens of millions of dollars. And I've also lost a lot of money. I have built some amazing relationships and I have also lost some relationships. It is not a, it has been a, a, a both and, you know, yeah. back and forth. And every time I'm at that crossroads, I have, I can either go straight across and start all over again to create a new plan, or I can choose to go deep down and look at what is it in me and what is it for me to what is it I'm not looking at? What is it that's mine to learn? What is it that's my, the, the beingness? What is it that I'm to feel about this right now? Mm -hmm. And that's, that's where the magic lies. And designing your destiny started from that place when I created my event, my three-day event, because it was, okay, how do I do this? And what's interesting is that people who've come some people over the course of 12 years, they'll say to me, wow, like you're so different. And it's the greatest compliment. And sometimes people will say to me, oh, there's new material. And I'll think, no, actually I shared that the last five years. You just weren't ready to receive it. Yeah. Like, right? You've changed, right? So it's like, it's a both and. Yeah. And it shows up when the student's ready. Right. Exactly. Yeah. For both of us. That's amazing. Like I just... I'm in awe of just hearing of your journey, how things have unfolded, how we turn possibilities into reality. I know in my work with Appreciative Inquirer, we're always looking at that impossible future and demonstrating how it can be that reality and how it is the possible future and allowing and giving people the permission to dream. 
Yes. And I and I could talk to you for several more hours, but I know we need to wrap up um, the interview here. But I do have a few questions for you. That is, what is one book that has been a transforming for you in how you approach life, business, or leadership? Oh my goodness! There, you know, there's just you. Ah, one book. <laughs> um, uh, How do you approach life and business, she says. I'll give you one of the earliest books, and I've never shared it in an interview, and it's The Velveteen Rabbit. Okay. And why, why The Velveteen Rabbit? Because there's, an, there's a one paragraph in The Velveteen Rabbit that ties into what we've talked about today. And it's about being real. And how will I know? It's gonna make me cry. How will I know? And um, he says, once you've been real, you can never not be real. Mm. And you, by that point, you're, joints ache and your fur has been rubbed off and those things don't matter to the people who who love you and so in this conversation it really makes me cry about vulnerability and about transparency it's that the right people get you when you're your most authentic self and you attract the right people and so that is a book that when I read that, geez, I probably, you know, when I was um, it's probably in teenager or in college when I really got that and it solidified even more. And so it's, um, it's a segment that just touches me deeply. You know, I've never thought of it that way. Thank you so much for that. Once you've been real, there's, it's basically you're not going back you're, you're real. And I think for people who, you know, when they start being vulnerable as well, and they share that vulnerability and share how real that they truly are, people don't see them any other way now. Yeah. Right. And that's the part that they need really to attract the clients, to attract the talent, to mm -hmm. live their life authentically and uh, really move forward. Yeah. So, so my next question is what does it mean to you to live rich from the inside out. It goes back to what we've talked about. Living rich for me is that there's not the, it doesn't mean that there's not overwhelm or that there's not, you know, life doesn't happen or that life can't be hard. It's that you're really clear about who you are. You're, you do things from a place of authenticity, that there's not a, um, that's the richest feeling of all is that who you are is simply perfect and that the world needs you and your brilliance. So how can people stay in touch you, with you, Lisa Marie? I, I love connecting. I've learned to love connecting. <laughs> and so my website is www.upsidethinking, U-P-S-I-D-E and the word thinking, T-H-I-N-K, ing.com and there's a place to connect with me there and there's 
You can find me on social, both on LinkedIn and Facebook. Look me up, Lisa Marie Platsky, P-L-A-T-S-K-E. Love it. And YouTube too, because I, you know, you have a number of podcast interviews and, you know, different uh, clips that can definitely deliver value. And I am so grateful. You know, I am, my eyes are a little bit wet because of how, you know, we've spent a number of hours together, you know, part of it being the podcast, but just knowing that one person's connection of saying, you know, you two need to meet. And as I was sharing with you, um, with my friend, Kevin, I do definitely feel that we've hit a place of synchro destiny and looking forward to where this journey brings us. But for all of you listening, Lisa Marie Platsky has delivered such amazing value and nuggets for you to be real, how to make situations right, how to make friends with failure. And I am so grateful we were able to connect today. Me too. Me too. Thank you. Yeah. And uh, I will never look at the Velveteen Rabbit the same ever, ever. (laughs) And I love that. Whenever someone can shift my perspective to something, how powerful it leads and it has me show up in the world as well. So again, much gratitude for you and the lessons you share with all of your audiences and designing your destiny. Um, You've definitely created a lot of value, um, but making a difference in this world, you know, one story at a time, one connection at a time. And uh, I'm excited to see the ripple effect that it brings. Thank you so much, Deborah. Truly an honor to be here with you today. Thank you. And for those of you listening, I will have everything in the show notes where you can connect with Lisa Marie and uh, follow up with her. She's got some awesome articles on her website as well, as well as books and interviews that you can look out and check out what she has to offer you. Also go over to my website at www.debrakazowski.com where you're going to get your three-part video course of making habits stick, building focus and consistency into those goals and making them a reality. And if you're interested in coaching, please go ahead and DM me or email me at debra at debrakazowski.com where we can set up that complimentary discovery session and connect to learn a little bit more about what's going on in your world. On behalf of Lisa Marie and myself, as Muhammad Gandhi says, be the change you wish to see in the world and go out and make today great. Thanks, everyone.